Well, this evening we're picking up where we left off last week in John chapter 6. It's quite a long passage that we'll be looking at tonight, and Margaret is going to come and read part one for us, reading from John chapter 6, verse 25. Margaret, thank you. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What will Miss Sweet do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may, may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our answer says, ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The next part is John chapter 6, starting at verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble among about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the, at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learnt from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. 
This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Do you hear that? We can share in Christ and live forever with him. This is the bread we need, the hope we need. He is mighty to save. Let's stand, let's sing his praise. But let's turn back to John chapter 6 and and pick up where we left off with the reading. John 6 from verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Each week, I stand up here, and I talk about Jesus for a bit, and usually, by the end of it, there's roughly the same number of people in the building as there were at the start, (laughs) give or take. In this chapter, Jesus stands up and talks about himself to an admiring audience of thousands. He is riding the crest of a wave of popularity here. 
He's just done a spectacular miracle, feeding more than 5,000 the day before. As we pick up the story the next day in verse 24, the crowd from yesterday, from the feeding of the 5,000, are in search of Jesus. And then if we skip ahead to the end of the chapter, to verse 66, it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer follow him. Now, by any human standard, this one sermon absolutely craters the ministry of Jesus. He starts with this immense goodwill towards him, with people looking for him, and he ends the day with 11 true followers left. 5,000 to 11. What is it that he said that drove away so many? Now, we're obviously a different context to Jesus speaking to this crowd of people. And for most of us, I guess our British politeness would stop us from storming out of a room if we heard something we didn't like. But I think every time we do hear the words of Jesus, there is an inward version of John chapter 6 that goes on. An inward version of the responses that we see to Jesus in this chapter. A kind of visceral response of either disgust that makes us turn away, or like Simon Peter, a kind of magnetism towards Jesus, a faith that says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I'm perhaps more aware than usual of the danger in these words that we're reading tonight. Words which can either push us away from Jesus or be to us words of life. It's only appropriate then that we stop and we pray before we dive in to what Jesus is saying here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are the words of eternal life. We, we pray that we might receive them in that way. We pray that the reaction of our hearts would not be disgust and offense, but that it would be love and gratitude and faith. We know this can't happen without your help, so we pray that you would help us to receive what you have for us in your words tonight. Amen. Well, this is a long passage. Um, You can tell it's long when we have to split it into three sections, but it's really a report of one conversation. Um, By zooming out on, on so much of the conversation, we can kind of, we will miss some of the details. We won't be going through every verse in detail, but hopefully we will get a sense of what it is that is holding this whole conversation together. And it's basically a conversation in two parts. It starts with what Jesus says to the crowd, which goes, takes us roughly up to about verse 59. And then from verse 60, we see a choice in how we are going to hear what he says. So first, what does Jesus say? What is it that's so provocative that it turns so many away? 
And it all boils down to this famous claim that he makes in verse 35. I am the bread of life. It might not be immediately clear why that is so offensive, but it's an offense that kind of gradually builds throughout the conversation. You can sort of imagine a song that is playing quietly in the background. And Jesus starts turning the volume up and up throughout the conversation. It's the same song, but he's saying it louder, louder, louder. And how you react to the volume being pumped up will really depend on whether you like that song or not. Jesus has been teaching in John's Gospel using signs. He's been using miracles or things that we can see, even things from everyday life, to show us about and teach us about the things in the spiritual world that we don't yet know, the things about God that we don't yet know. And in the first half of this chapter, he did a sign with bread, miraculously feeding a crowd of over 5,000. He provides bread, the basic food of life, to the crowd. And now he's explaining the meaning of this sign, the reality that it points to. And as I said, he's kind of building it up throughout the chapter. You can sort of imagine this as he's kind of driving on a bus, which is, which is going towards eternal life. And there are four bus stops along the way, four kind of key points in the case that he's building and the point that he's making. And the first stop is this. It is, I give bread. At the end last week, the, the crowds wanted to make Jesus king, but he withdrew because their idea of being a king is all wrong. Um, and he crosses the Sea of Galilee at night, another miracle. He walks on water to his disciples. And the crowd, who only saw the disciples get in the boat, wonder how on earth he got there. And in verse 25, they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't report the walking on water to them. As impressive as that would be, as, as great a start as that would be to, to win their attention, to win their allegiance, perhaps. But they don't need more signs right now. They need to appreciate the ones that they already saw. So Jesus replies to them, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. This is, this is the first bus stop. It's just, wow, look, bread. Jesus gives bread. We were thinking last week about how that, that is just that focus on what Jesus can give us in this life, what Jesus can give us out of our basic needs or perhaps our desires for this life. He's saying, all you care about, really, if you come to Jesus in that way, is that I can fill your stomach. I give bread. The second bus stop, he turns it up a notch. I give spiritual bread, in verse 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils, for bread on earth. Work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He's moving from physical bread, from life on earth, and how he can provide for that, 
to spiritual bread, to eternal life, to life in relation to God and how he provides that. And the miracle was, it was a picture, it was an acted out drama about how Jesus gives us eternal life. And they seem to be kind of on board with this. They, they, they say, what must we do to do the works God requires? What is the work that we need to get this bread, this spiritual bread? And he answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Not the answer they expected. It starts getting hard for them now. They would have perhaps been happy with some kind of to-do list, some kind of work-for-bread deal, a work-based eternal life offer that he'd come to give. But he's not come to give that. He's come to, to turn all the attention to himself. The work is you have to respond to Jesus. It's not a list of commands. It is to believe in him. That is the work. Respond to the person of Jesus Christ. They can't do that because their mind is still on what the person can give them on earthly bread. So they answer, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. How about some earthly bread just so we can be sure about this spiritually bread? If only, Jesus, you could do a miracle involving bread. Wouldn't that be great? They hide behind this empty promise. If, if you reenact the exodus, if, if, you give us, if you provide for us bread in the, in the desert like God provided for our ancestors, then we will believe you. But they won't. He already did it. He already gave them bread. It's like when we want, keep wanting Jesus to prove himself. Lord, answer this one prayer. Give me this one thing on earth. Then I'll commit my life to you. Then I'll believe. If that's you, let me ask you, are, are you sure you're not kidding yourself? Are you sure that you're not being like these people here? And that even if Jesus did give you that one thing, that one desire in your heart, will you really commit then or will it just be something else? Just move the goalposts again and ask for more bread. Jesus says, you have seen me. And still, you don't believe. I give spiritual bread. They're struggling, but the bus keeps on driving to stop number three. I am spiritual bread. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's not just that eternal life comes from Jesus, that this is some kind of bread that he gives us that is something different to himself, that we then kind of run off in our own into a little corner of heaven and do what we want with it. He is the bread. 
He gives us himself. We receive not life from Jesus, but life in Jesus. Eternal life, John will say later in chapter 17, consists in knowing him. It will not be you off in a corner in heaven pursuing your own interests and longings. It will be you with Jesus in heaven finding that all of your interests and longings pointed towards him and are now fulfilled. All the meaning that you wanted, all the love that you wanted, all the fruitfulness and purpose that you wanted are all there in him. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's what he's going to raise us up to. That's the life that he promises. Finding all of that in knowing and in being known by Jesus. And it's getting really hard for them now. They can sense that he's making this big claim to have, to have come down from heaven. They can kind of understand it, but they can't accept it. In verse 42, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Just like they can't move from earthly bread to eternal bread, they can't move from receiving Jesus as a human walking the earth to receiving Jesus as the God who gives life. In spite of everything that they've seen him do, he keeps doing all these things that only God can do, but they can't see it. That's the third stop. I am spiritual bread. And Jesus knows, he can see clearly that they are hanging, straggling behind what he's saying, struggling to stay on the bus. But he keeps on driving to the fourth and the last stop, which is, you need to eat me. Verse 15, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. And it's too much. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That is just disgusting. He pushes this picture of the sign of being the bread of life as far as it will go. He says, the one who feeds on me, feeds on me, will live because of me. That word feed that he's using, it's the same word for animals feeding. Just imagine that kind of disgusting sound and sight of of a goat just like chomping away at stuff. That is the word that he's using here. The, the munching, the crunching. Just think of the noisiest eater you know. And what is being eaten is the flesh of Jesus. He's asking us to feast on his corpse. Not even asking us, telling us, if you want to live, you must feed. He adds in the drinking, the wine of his blood, just to make it as unsettling as possible. This is metaphor, but it's not a funny, light illustration. It is dark. It's grotesque. 
It's horrific. Even aside from all the, the cannibalism overtones, even if he isn't speaking literally here, this is hard teaching. There is a spiritual offensiveness here. And it's in his death which he speaks of here. My flesh which I will give for the life of this world. His claim to be God and to give life is bad enough, but now he says the only way for you out there in the world to get life is for me to die in your place. Anyone who wants life has to take, in some sense, a bite out of the death of Jesus, to take ownership of the fact that this was the only way to life. Feeding on Jesus' dead body means accepting that his body died because of me, because of my rejection of God. For me to have life, the Son of God had to die. That he did die is wonderful news for us, and we've been praising him for that earlier, but that he had to die is hard teaching to swallow. It's humbling. It's hard to digest that because we have to swallow some pretty hard truths along with it. You kind of want to vomit it up again because it just, it just reveals just how bad we are, that there was no other way, there was no work that we could do, there was nothing we could do to get life. It had to be this way. This is the only way. The crowds can't eat this bread because they want a different kind of king. They want a military king. They want a mighty, victorious king, not a king with a body being crunched up by his followers, being eaten up by us so that we can live. The work that God requires is believing in Jesus. This was the only way. This is the only way for us to get life. And the real difficulty in swallowing that comes from the fact that we also have to swallow our pride and admit that we can't, we can't good work our way out of this. We can't good work our way into heaven. When we take communion later in the service, this is what we're doing. We're taking a bite out of the death of Jesus. We're accepting that it is my flesh and blood that should have been chewed up in the judgment of God, not his. It's a a visible, proclaiming a visible, acting out of the spiritual reality It's a physical action to display our inward biting onto, taking hold of Jesus' death as something for me, as something because of me. We need to eat Jesus.
to accept his death is the way to our life. That's what Jesus says. Now, how do we answer? Well, there are two reactions to what Jesus says. I said before about the kind of the song that's volume is being turned up, and your reaction to that song being turned up will really depend on whether it's a song that you love or a song that you hate. The song that you hate, you'll, you'll try and leave the room, you'll put on ear defenders, you'll do everything you can to avoid encountering that song. The song you love, you'll start dancing, depending on your taste of music, I suppose. But. It's the same way there are two reactions here, as Jesus kind of turns up the volume on what he's saying. The first reaction is to grumble and leave. Notice all of the grumbling in this chapter. Verse 41, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Verse 52, they argue sharply among themselves. Verse 60, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And finally, in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Grumbling and leaving can happen at any of those four bus stops. If this is a bus driving to eternal life, just think about where you're at today. Think about at what stop you want to get off the bus. Most people are happy enough with stop one, perhaps, if we can overcome the idea that that we provide everything for ourselves and we don't need any help at all, um, people are happy with Jesus gives bread. A harmless charity Jesus who just gives out our basic earthly needs, helps us to get jobs, to get health, to get food, perhaps to have even more than that. But the bus doesn't stay there. And so perhaps where you grumble and leave is the second stop. Jesus gives spiritual bread. That you'd rather not think about eternal life. You just get stuck in a cycle. It's continually asking for more proof, more signs, more evidence. Then you'll believe or try to find. Or maybe it's the third stop. Jesus is spiritual bread. Maybe that's where you get stuck. You recognize that you have a spiritual need. You recognize that there is something beyond merely the physical reality of this world, and there is a reality more than that. But you don't like Jesus' claim on how absolute it is to be the only way to life, to be the one who has life in his hands. You'd rather try other ways Try a bit of your own work, perhaps. Try a bit of other things. Or maybe it's stop four where you get stuck. We need to eat, Jesus. Perhaps it's just too much for you to admit that you have sinned against God, that you need a Savior. You can't eat this. You can't digest this kind of a message. You get off the bus, you never arrive at life. 
In chapter 6, Jesus has been showing how the Jewish festival of Passover is fulfilled in him, how it is a sign pointing to him. And grumbling is also a bit of a Passover tradition. The Israelites, when they were set free from slavery in Egypt, very soon after started grumbling about God, started doubting his good plans for them. started questioning the way in which God was saving them. you read about that in Numbers 14, if you want, later. But God made that whole generation wander the desert for 40 years until they all died. They didn't enter the promised land. And those who react to Jesus as the bread of life by complaining, by arguing by walking away, in the end we'll miss out on life. And this isn't just a warning for the crowds out there. Who walks away in verse 66? It's his disciples. Those who walk with Jesus, those who claim to be following him, When they hear the call to eat Jesus, they turn away in disgust. And as I said, sometimes we can have ways of doing that internally without externally storming out. It may be that you could do that, that you could just turn your back on Jesus completely, you could walk away, you could never be seen in a church again. And I suppose there is an integrity in that, although it is tragic. But there's also a way of leaving Jesus while still looking like you're part of the crowd. I said at the start, Jesus went from 5,000 down to 11. But didn't Jesus have 12 disciples? Judas betraying Jesus didn't come from nowhere. Gradually, perhaps even from this moment, he became resentful. He became dissatisfied with who Jesus was, with what the work of God was requiring him to do. That built up inwardly and inwardly in in him until eventually he got to the point where it burst out and he said, Jesus has to go. Judas tries to hide among the twelve. But Jesus knows. Jesus sees the heart. In verse 70, he replies, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. There's a way of turning away from Jesus while sticking around with the Christians. Of never really engaging, never really taking a bite out of the body of Jesus for yourself. Hearing Jesus each week, but in your heart, just tuning it out. It stays on the inside, but it can't stay there forever. 
Judas is this ticking time bomb to the moment where it bursts out into open betrayal. If that's you, if that's how you're feeling, if there's something in that that speaks to you, just don't leave that unresolved. Whatever it is that offends you about Jesus, about what Jesus is saying, face up to it. There are answers, there are people who will talk to you about this. Come to me, come to one of the other Christians you know, pray about it. But don't turn away. Don't, don't let it simmer away in you so that you miss out on life. We could grumble and leave. Or the second way, listen and believe. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon certainly doesn't understand everything here. He will have many misunderstandings and abandoning Jesus's of his own on his bus journey to life. But he does stay on the bus. He does allow himself to swallow Jesus' words as the only way to life. And what would it mean for you to do that today? To take a bite out of the death of Jesus. Perhaps we can start with communion. If you've never taken communion before, if you don't usually, that's fine. You can, you can still sit and observe what it is that we're doing tonight. Perhaps think about those four bus stops. Think which you're at and what it is that might help you to move on to the next. Perhaps who you could talk to about that. I give bread. I give spiritual bread. I am spiritual bread. You need to eat me. But if you are a Christian, if you have taken hold of the death of Jesus in baptism, then life is yours. And perhaps you could make more of communion as an ongoing taking hold of Jesus and enjoying the life that you have in that. Let, let the taking of the bread tonight be you resolving to sink your teeth deeply into the death of Jesus. Let the, the drinking of the wine tonight be, be a symbol of you drinking deep of life to the full, life that is to be found in Jesus alone. And know that you're not on your own here. There is something else here in this chapter. There's a kind of a thread running all the way through Jesus' teaching here. It's kind of a golden thread that, that holds everything else together. And this is the thing that makes the difference between 
grumbling and leaving and listening and believing. Between this is hard teaching, who can accept this, and these are the words of eternal life, where else can we go? And the dividing line is this, we need God to help us here. We need God to help us here. Verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. He can't come to Jesus as the bread of life unless the Father brings us to Jesus. More fully, it is a a work of the whole trinity, of the whole Godhead. The Father draws us. Verse 63, the Spirit gives us life. And then in verse 67, after Peter believes, Jesus says, Have I not chosen you? Father, Son, and Spirit are working together so that we can come to Jesus, so that we can have faith, so that we can feed on him in faith. And if they don't, nobody will. Nobody will seek God. We would like to believe that our faith is the one thing that we bring to the table that we at least come to this as earnest seekers of God. We seek. We seek other gods. We seek things from God. We seek earthly bread. We seek eternal bread. But no one seeks Jesus. No one seeks the one true God who is Father, Son, and Spirit unless he seeks us first. We are taking hold of a God who has taken hold of us first. God saves start to finish, not just by sending Jesus' bread to be broken for our life, but by sending his spirit to help us take hold of that, to help us to feed on Jesus' death in faith. If you're a Christian today, it's because God the Father drew you because God the Son chose you. It's because God the Spirit gave you life. So as you take communion, rejoice in that. Rejoice in the love that God has for you. He chose you. He loved you. He thought, yes, I want him. I want her. I'm going to pour out my love on them. I'm going to give them life, life to the full. I'm going to allow them to see that call to feed on the bread of life as not an offense, but as a loving invitation, as something good. Rejoice in that. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, you are the only way. There was no thing that we could do. There was nothing we could contribute. And we confess that it was because of us that you died 
was because of our sin. Our guilt of all our wrongdoing in your sight, and yet, Lord Jesus, you chose to take that upon yourself. And all you ask is that we feed on you in faith, that we accept this gift. And this too is something that you send your spirit to work in us. We praise you that salvation belongs to you from beginning to end. Lord, grow us in our knowledge of that, grow us in our appreciation of everything that you have done for us. And grow us in our knowledge of you, Lord Jesus. May we hang on your every word as words of eternal life. Amen.